You see the title of the message on the screen. It raises that question, are you wrestling with God? Maybe uh, you uh, know that expression. Perhaps you feel that way in your own life. There's some struggle going on in, in your heart. The, the Lord is wanting to work in you, and uh, you are offering up some measure of resistance to what God wants to do. And so that phrase, wrestling with God, comes out of one specific story in our Bible. Maybe there's several different illustrations of it, but the perfect picture comes out of Genesis chapter 32, and I'm going to read those verses to you. We're going to look at the context of that story and talk about what it means to wrestle with God and how that ought to come to a conclusion in your life. Genesis chapter 32 beginning to read in verse 22. It's the story of Jacob. And the Bible says that he, that's Jacob, arose the same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream uh, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. Now I know this says it's a man, but as we continue to read, notice carefully in the context that it turns out to be more than just a man. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, the one wrestling with Jacob said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, that's Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. Now we need to discover what is happening in this story. As I said earlier, every story in the Bible has a context, a set of circumstances that surround it. And so it's those circumstances that are going to help us understand what was going on in Jacob's life and allow us to make application of that to similar moments in our own life. Now, uh, why was Jacob camped beside this stream called Jabbok? And why did he send his family on without him? And why did he spend the night alone? And verse 24 says clearly, that he was left alone. Well, in order to understand this moment, I need to remind you of a prior moment in Jacob's life when he heard a call from God. So first, we're going to consider the call of God to Jacob. 
In chapter 31, verse 3, the Bible says, The Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. That is why Jacob was there. He was returning to his homeland in response to the call of God. Now, God never calls a person to do anything without making certain promises. And God had promised Jacob way back uh, early on. He said to him in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And now at this moment in Jacob's life, God was calling him to go back home. Perhaps you too have experienced some stirring of God in your heart. God is calling you. And maybe like Jacob, you're on the cusp of responding to that call of God, but on the precipice of that step of faith, your heart is flooded with doubt as you begin to weigh the risk of what it is that God is calling you to do. So second, let's consider the risk in responding to God's call. What was the risk for Jacob in responding to this call from God? Well, this is where the content, context of the story comes in handy because Jacob is a man with quite a bit of baggage in his life. God was calling him to go back home. But going home would require that Jacob face the baggage of his past. Going home would risk digging up old hurts and surfacing old conflicts. Are there hurts and conflicts in your life that you would go around the world to avoid? Jacob is on the cusp of such a moment in his life. He is alone. He is alone with his thoughts. He is alone with his doubts. He is alone with his fears. He is alone with his past. Back home, he has this brother who he cheated, he defrauded, and when he left home, that brother, whose name was Esau, made a promise that if he ever saw his brother again, he would kill him. So here is God calling Jacob to go back home to face his past, and Jacob is in the process of answering this call, but in the, in the journey along the way, he gets this disturbing message that comes up in chapter 32, verses 6 and 7. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming out to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Now you just consider in your mind what was going through Jacob's mind in that moment. He's all alone in this camp by the creek bank. He's just sent his family and all that he owns ahead of him. And now it's just him facing his past, facing this call from God. Now I hope you know there's never a risk in following God, at least from God's perspective. Because whenever God calls us to do something, and I have discovered this in my own life, that God always has a plan worked out in advance. But you will not know that on the front end of the call. You will only know that as you make the journey. So Jacob 
while he was alone with God, took some time to pray. We don't have details about what he prayed except in this conversation that he had with God in the verses previous. The first verse is in uh, verse 9. And as he prayed, he said three things to God in verses 9, 10, and 11. First, he began by quoting what God had already said to him. He said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Jacob, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. In other words, he did what every person needs to do when we're in the process of decision. You need to clarify the call from God. You don't need to take a risk. You just need to answer the call of God. And you need to make sure that God called you. And when God calls you, everything else will work out. So he's clarifying this call from God, making sure that this was not his own personal passion, uh, making sure that it was beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that of what God wanted him to do. And then second, he owns up to this baggage that he has in his life. In verse 10, he confesses his sinfulness. You need to know, if you don't already, that Jacob is not the holiest man in the Bible. Are you the holiest person in your church? Do you feel like you're the holiest person in your denomination? Probably not. Jacob said in verse 10, I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you've shown to your servant. Because with my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. He has a lot of blessings that he's risking making this journey to do what God called him to do. And he realizes his own sinfulness and unworthiness. But let me ask you a question. Did God know all of these things about Jacob before he called him? Yes. And God also knows all of those things about you, all the details of your life, all the baggage that you have, all the hurts and heartaches and the conflicts. And so what Jacob does at this point, he simply prays to God for deliverance. In verse 11, he says, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he will come and attack me with the mothers and the children. So here's Jacob. This is a hard thing for him on the bank of this little stream trying to decide what it is that if he can make the big step and, and follow God and, 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 and he sent his wife and family across but he didn't go. It seems that for a moment Jacob's own faith froze and maybe you are in one of those moments. God has called you, but on the cusp of responding to God, you, you choked up, you froze, you stood still, you, you were tentative, you were afraid, and perhaps from your perspective, with good reason. So let me ask you a question, and I think it's probably true of all of us to a degree, everybody here. Are you in some area of your life resisting, responding, to God's call. Well, Jacob was alone and he was afraid. And then if you follow the story in the scripture, he was attacked. 
but he would later learn that it was no man with whom he was wrestling. It was God. God knew his reluctance. He knew his resistance. And so God came to wrestle him to surrender. Now make no mistake about it. God will also find you. And he will attack your unwillingness. He will assault your rebellious spirit. He will come in the person of his Holy Spirit to wrestle you to surrender concerning the thing which he's called you to do. Now, I said earlier, and I will say again, I have no doubt that God has an unsettled claim against the life of everyone here. There is some area of resistance where God has been dealing with you, wrestling with you, and calling you to surrender. How does that happen? Well, when God begins to attack us at some area of surrender, it, it, it's sort of subtle at first. Here's the way it happens. First, you don't seem to be able to get the matter off your mind. Just when you think you can quit thinking about it, then you run into it in your daily Bible reading. Or you come to church and it's the subject of your Sunday school lesson. Or it is the subject of the pastor's sermon. It comes up again and again, raised to our consciousness. And then it begins to steal our sleep as the constraints of God's conviction squeeze us tighter and tighter. So we, we come to this passage here again. Verse 24, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. So who won the battle in this story? Because he says you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Well, in one sense, it appears that Jacob prevailed, but he prevailed only in that he resisted as long as he was allowed to resist. And you need to know this. If you are resisting God in some area of your life where he's dealing with you about some decision you need to make or some surrender you need to make, you are being allowed to resist because God, as it happened in Jacob's life, could bring that resistance to an end with one touch. And that's what God did. He simply touched his hip and dislocated his hip and Jacob was helpless. And so now we come to Jacob's moment of surrender. Look at verse 26. Jacob said, uh, the Lord said to Jacob, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Here is Jacob. This man had been, is, in the story of his life, one of the most independent, stubborn, deceptive people in the Bible. Doing things his own way, not waiting on God, not depending on God. And here is Jacob yielding up his posture of defense and resistance, now realizing that he can't do anything without God. He can't go forward without God's help because God has left him a weaker man. F.B. Meyer said, It is a glad moment in the history of the human spirit when it throws both arms around the risen Savior and hangs on to him and will not let go. 
Have you reached such a point of surrender in your life where you are ready to say, God, I can't, I hear you calling me. I've tried to do these things on my own. I cannot go without you. I can't go forward without you, without your blessing, without your help, without your strength. And that's all Jacob ever really needed to do was to be dependent upon God. So in verse 27, God brings Jacob to, to grapple with who he is and who he's not. And he says, Jacob, tell me your name. Well, he says, what is your name? He doesn't say Jacob. He said, what is your name? Well, look, God asks questions in the Bible that are for our benefit, not for his benefit. This was for Jacob's benefit, not for God's benefit. God already knew his name. But names in the Bible, whether you know it or not, have meanings. And Jacob's name had a meaning. When Jacob was given a name, he was given a name by his mother, which was sort of cute when he was little. But it turned out to be who he was. You remember, he caught his brother's heel when he was born. He was called heel catcher or supplanter or the name also means deceiver. And that's who he was. He was a scoundrel and Jacob was a sinner. And God wanted to hear that out of Jacob's own mouth. Who are you? What is your name? What kind of man are you after all? And then in verse 28, he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. God is changing his name for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. The name Israel means prince with God. There's a quite a change here taking place, not only in Jacob's name, but his character. Here is a man who's been resistant to God, who's now going to be yielded to God. And it comes on a creek bank, a river, a little river. We would call it probably a creek here. Nothing more than that. All alone, a place called Jabbok, which, by the way, also has a meaning. And you may be at a Jabbok of your own. Would you like to know what Jabbok means? It means a place of struggle a place of crossing over. It wasn't an accident that Jacob had a wrestling match with God at a place of struggle, a place of crossing over. And it was quite a significant moment because Jacob renames the place. He named it Peniel, which means the face of God. And a place of crossing over, a place of struggle, became the place of God's presence. In other words, he realized the Lord was going to be with him and the Lord was going to take care of him. And he was able to take that step of faith, although he took it in weakness. The Bible says that the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over and Jacob was limping on his thigh. This was the sunrise from on high who visited Jacob. And so here you are here this morning, you may be passing through some long night of spiritual struggle when God has been dealing with you about some area in your life where you need to surrender to him. Maybe he's asking you to make a specific step or 
just like Jacob, just to do something as simple as facing the baggage of your past or facing the sin in the present and yielding it up and letting it go. And he's allowed you to resist. He's done that. But with a single touch of his hand, remember, he can bring your resistance to an end. He did in Jacob's life, and he spent the rest of his life a weaker man, but a better man, because he yielded up his life to God. Is today the moment that God is calling you to surrender after months and months or years and years of wrestling with God?